going to continue our study on Route 66. Uh, Michael just wrapped up First and Second Samuel, and uh, those are big shoes to come behind. Man, he did a great job. Lisa and I were even commenting just how much we enjoyed that and uh, really enjoyed the last two studies. So, Mike, nice job, buddy. Yeah, good job. <clears throat> um, I, I, you know, as I've read through Kings again, I don't know what about you guys, but it is one of those books you start. It's like First and Second Samuel. Yeah. I, I dare you to sit down and start reading First Samuel, and I bet you will not put that Bible down, or that'll be where you're just going to stay till you're you're at the end of Kings, and you're going to pound through all four books and go, that was fun. Because it really, first, second Samuel, first and second Kings, the narrative and the story is just so alive. Um, but let's get started. I gave you guys sheets. We'll keep you guys on track here. The title. The title is Kings. That's because the first Hebrew word that's used there is Melech, which is king. King David was old. That's how it started, right? Um, we add the the, uh, the word the in there to make it make more sense for English, but it actually started with just king, thus the name kings. First and second kings was actually one scroll called the kingdoms and um, or the book of kings, and it was all one scroll, and the, the Septuagint decided to break that up because it was just so massive. It was big. So they broke it up between first and second kings, and it as actually used to be uh, Samuel was uh, first kingdoms or kingdom A or king A or kings A and then kings B and then second first Sam, or first kings was actually uh, third kingdoms and second kings was fourth kingdoms so it was four scrolls of kingdoms and uh, now we have it in our Bibles as first and second Samuel and first and second kings and the person who does Chronicles will tell you about Chronicles, and it's a little different also. Um, the author, the author is unknown. We don't know who the author is. Uh, we just know that from the writings it was uh, uh, written or written down from other writings that they had gathered and uh, chronicled in the book of Kings. That's not the right way to say that, huh? With the word, word, but that is what it is. Uh, um, so... They don't know when this author or who the author was, but obviously the writings were from the time of Solomon, which is about 970 BC, going all the way through the capture or the captivity from Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar attacks and hauls them all off. That's the last, you know, exile uh, in 587 BC. So the book was written probably around, I've got that in the notes here, uh, 561 to 538 B.C., both 1st and 2nd Kings was written. But the time frame was from Solomon to the Great Exile, okay? Purpose. All right, I tried to make it a little easier for us tonight. So, I'm hoping I don't have to repeat it too many times. So... I'll read through this purpose statement because we want our folks who are online listening. Uh, they can get this for also. But the purpose of this book was to set forth those events which were important from the standpoint of God and his program of redemption. 
the writer skipped important achievements of the kings and focused on how each successive ruler dealt with God in his covenant responsibilities. And I really think this is an important purpose I want you to catch, okay? What is timeless is your relationship with God and how you lead. That's the purpose. If I shortened it up, what is timeless is what your relationship with God is like and how you lead. That's really what the purpose of Kings is about. They throw out a lot of the wars, a lot of the, the uh, architectural things that they did, building events. Yes, we got some things from Solomon and others, but they minimize those and they maximize. God's word highlights, puts a light on what that man's relationship was like with the Lord in First and Second Kings. The theme. Are we okay to move on? No. 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 Okay. No. Give you guys a couple seconds to write. <laughs> okay. Sorry, it's on this side for folks over here. Okay. So the theme, the basis of Israel's history and welfare of the nation, ultimately depended upon the sincerity of its faithfulness to the covenant of Yahweh. And you'll see this all the way through First and Second Kings is really the nation waffles between good and bad kings, following God, not following God. And, and really, Israel just does not follow God. And you see how uh, there's no peace in the country. There's, there's, no, uh, there's no welfare for the people. The kings are are shirking their responsibility before God, and it's affecting the entire nation. Does that not happen here? Mm. You know, when we have our leaders actually ignore God, do we not suffer in our own nation with things that happen, with decisions that are made that are poorly made? All right, outline. <clears throat> I, I made the outline simple. I actually gave it to you, this one. Uh, I wanted to speed things along a little bit because <laughs> First and Second Kings is massive. Um, you know what? Um, yeah, we'll just keep moving along. So you can see the outline here of First and Second Kings. Um, uh, chapters 1 through 11 are about the kingdom united. They're united under Solomon. All right. And then uh, staying in that column on the left, 12 through 22 is all about the divided kingdom. And then that <clears throat> we can see in... Uh, 2 Kings 1 through 17, chapters 1 through 17, uh, the kingdoms divided and Israel falls. And then 18 through 25, it's the kingdom which survives and then ultimately Judah falls. All right. What I wanted to do is I put together a little scripture walk. I'm hoping it doesn't take too long to, to go through. And I'm kind of wishing I gave you the verses, but I'm going to beg your forgiveness and uh, move on. But what I've done is I want to give an, an outline about Solomon. And I kind of felt the best way to do that because we're going to jump into Solomon next. I'm not quite down to your major themes. Actually, let's start with that. Let me start over. Major themes. If you see on your outline, you've got the kings. There's basically these major themes. The kings, the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah. We have a king of comparison, if we want to call it that. We're going to compare Jeroboam against David, the prophets, the temple, 
and the sovereignty of God. These are major uh, themes that run throughout or are in First and Second Kings. We're going to start with major theme, the kings. And the king that we're looking at is King Solomon. So on your blank line, you can put King Solomon. And I'm going to read some scripture verses that I hope will give us some insight. Uh, they're just snippet verses out of the scripture that kind of flow over the life of uh, King Solomon. <clears throat> uh, Kings 1.1. Now King David was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. In Kings 1, 5 through 6, now Adoniah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I'll be king. And he prepared himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done this? And so he was also very handsome and he was the next uh, or was born next after Absalom. You can see Adoniah has tried to usurp the throne, okay? But in 1 Kings 1, 32 through 34, King David said, Call me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehodiah. So they came to the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servant of your Lord, and have Solomon ride on my mule, and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king of Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. So you can see David got involved. Bathsheba actually came to him with Nathan the prophet, and got that moving along. First Kings 2, uh, 10 through 12. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time of David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of, his, of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. In Kings 3, 1 through 2. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, he took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at high places. However, because no uh, house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. <clears throat> First Kings 3, 9 through 14. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding. Mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this your great people. It pleased the Lord that Solomon ha had asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise, discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare it with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways and keeping my statues and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. First Kings 4.20 Judah uh, 20 and 21 Judah and Israel were as many as the sands by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdom from Euphrates to the land of the Philistines to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. First Kings five through six. And so I intended to build a house for the name of my Lord 
And the Lord said to David, my father, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. Now, therefore, command the cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I will pay you for your servants such wages as you set. For you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. 1 Kings 6, 37-38. In the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv. And the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its parts and according to its specifications. He was seven years in building it. 1 Kings 11, 1-3. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, a Moabite, an Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from nations concerning which God Lord had said to the people, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. In 1 Kings 11, uh, 11 through 13, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you've not kept my co covenant and my statutes and I have that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you, and I will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do this in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. That ends up being two tribes. First Kings 11 through 42. And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. Sorry, 11, first Kings 11, 42 through 43. Like I said, this is just a scripture walk to get you accustomed to what is going on with Solomon. And Solomon slept with his fathers, and he was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. In 1 Kings 12, 14, 13 and 14. And the king answered the people harshly, forsaking their counsel, this is Rehoboam, and that the old men had given him. He spoke to them according to the counsel of the younger men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions. That's Rehoboam, guys. 1 Kings 12.20. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, <clears throat> they sent and called to him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was no one that followed the house of David, David but the tribe of Judah, also Benjamin. But... I want you to realize those last two verses get a little confusing. Rehoboam takes over the kingdom, and he seeks unwise counsel. Actually, he sought wise counsel, and they gave it. Then he went and talked to his buddies who were younger, and they gave horrible counsel, and he took that. And um, it le led to the splitting, because that last verse talks about Jeroboam, who is an Ephraimite. Well, you're going to talk about him a little bit later. He comes in exposes that weakness and tears Israel away because God said he could, because God gave it to him. We'll talk about that as well. But King Solomon, your next piece there is right underneath it, the requirement of 
obedience. We see that uh, uh, God gave a uh, command or a covenant with, with Solomon, but he, he had a conditional statement on it. If, if. And what's, what's amazing to me is if you look at 1 Kings 2, 2 through 4, it's kind of a sad statement here. If you look at 1 Kings 2, 2 through 4, it says, I am about to go away uh, way the, of the earth. This is David speaking. He's speaking to Solomon. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do, wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness, faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So you see David is warning Solomon for obedience. Let's look at uh, 1 Kings 6, 11 through 13. All right. First, 1 Kings 6, 11 through 13. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon. Who's speaking to Solomon? God is. Yeah, this is a warning from God. We heard of a warning from David earlier. Well, here's one from God. Concerning this house that you are building, if you walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So you have another warning from God. Now, here's where it gets kind of funny. I think we do this ourselves. We have our folks tell us, don't do this. We see it in God's word. Well, what's the next thing we usually do? Let's look at 1 Kings 8, 22. Now, this is a long section. I'm not, I don't want to read the entire section. So let's just pick and choose out of this what we might read out of this. But um, this is 1 Kings 8, 22 through 61. And I don't have time to read that. But it says, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and the heads of the tribes and the leaders, the fathers and houses of the people, before King Solomon in Jerusalem, to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled to the king Solomon at the feast of the month of Ethium, which is the seventh month. And all the Israel came, and the priests took up the Ark. All right? Now, Let's look at verse 12. I wanted you to know what was going on. He has gathered all the people around. This is Solomon speaking to the people. Okay? But he's really telling this to himself. Chapter 12, verse 12 in chapter 8. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell forever. Then the king turned around and blessed the assembly. While all the assembly of Israel stood, he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, whom with his hand fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to David my father, saying, Since the day that I brought the people out of Israel, brought my people Israel out of Egypt, 
I chose no city out of the tribes of Israel in which to build a house that my, my, that my name might be there. But he chose David to be over my people. Now it was in my heart, it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David, my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well, that was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build a house, but your son who shall be born to you shall build a house for my name. Now the Lord fulfilled this promise and made this, for I have risen in the place of David my father, and I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, and I have provided a place for the ark, which is the covenant. Now, let's jump down a little bit. Um, if we look, he said in verse 23, O God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven, above or on the earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, which you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled this day. You can see in these verses, Solomon is warning himself. And if you read the entire chapter eight, it is all about God warning Solomon to walk in his ways. So you have not only David warns him, not only God warns him, Solomon warns himself. And we have one more time, I won't read it. If you go to 1 Kings 9, 3 through 9, God visits Solomon one more time and warns him, walk in my ways. Be obedient. He doesn't do it. What was that last reference? It is 1 Kings 9, 3 through 9. All right. The next thing we're looking at is it starts with the king and then has blank. King Solomon, he claimed to be the seed. He thought he was the seed, S-E-E-D, right? He thought he was what God was prophesying or God was telling David that your son would establish his kingdom forever. We know who that is. Who is the seed? Seed is Jesus Christ. Solomon had assumed the prophecy was only about that time, about his time and place, when really was a prophecy about the Messiah. And we can see that with his statements in 1 Kings 5.5. 5. And um, you can see this in his words. He said, and so I intended to build a house for the name of the Lord, as the Lord said to my father, your son whom I will set on the throne in your place shall build a house for my name. Solomon is saying this to brag about the fact that he thought he was the one that establishes the throne forever. He's not. He didn't realize it was about Jesus that this promised seed. And we can see this again. I'm not going to read it because of time. 1 Kings 8, 12 through 21. Uh, I already read a bunch of that for you when we were reading through and just a few minutes ago. You can see that Solomon had a wrong view of who the seed actually was. Okay, so he's not the seed. Well, why not? All right. 
So the next part there is Solomon was not the seed. Okay? He's not the seed. And we can look at verses like 1 Kings 10, 26. And it also goes all the way through eleven thirteen, And it talks about the fact that he kept many wives and many horses. And Michael, you did a great job when you talk, taught on um, Samuel and you talked about those um, laws being broken. And let's turn to Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, and if we read 14 through 20, it says, this is uh, laws concerning kings in Israel. So God wrote in the Torah how we should handle kings or how kings would be handled in the time of the kings in the Bible. And Michael, I believe you read this and you read a couple other passages. It says, when you came, come to the land that the Lord God is giving you, and you possess it, and you dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your own brothers you shall set as king over you. You will not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, and nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And Solomon did it all. He kept horses. If you read in that passage of First Kings uh, chapter 10, verse 26 through eleven thirteen, it talks about his many wives and his many horses. And we know about his riches. Okay? All right. First Kings, um, we can also see that he's not the seed because God rose up adversaries against Solomon. Okay? If we go to First uh, Kings eleven fourteen. I love this little area right here. And I'm hoping when you read it or reread it, or maybe you're thinking about how you went through this and you were reading it, and you remember about God raising up adversaries in um, 1 Kings 11, verse 14. Got to get there with you guys. Sorry, bifocals are wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon. Hadad the Edomite, he was the royal household uh, or of the royal house of Edom, right? Edom was of Esau, all right? It's adversary, raised an adversary. Do you know what the Hebrew word for adversary is? Satan, Satan, Satan. He, raised, he rose a Satan. He, wrote, he arose a Satan against Solomon. And God does it again. It says in... Um, 1 Kings 11.23, just jump down a few verses here. It says, And God also raised up an adversary, a Satan, to him Rezin, the son of Elida, 
who had fled from the master, oh man, these words, Hadeazer, or something like that, king of Zobah, right? You can see another Satan, another adversary was raised up against Solomon. God is attacking Solomon for his disobedience. He also raised up another man. I won't use the word adversary. And the reason why is because God doesn't. He raises up one more man. In verse 26, God raises up Jeroboam, <laughs> son of Nabat, an Ephraimite of Zerida, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zerah, a widow, uh, also lift up his hand against the king. God doesn't use the word adversary. And I think it's interesting that he didn't because he uses the word adversary to describe Hadad and Rezin, but not Jeroboam. Do you know why? Jeroboam was, Jeroboam was God's man. He was, a, he, was a, he was a man that God chose to take Israel. But he ended up not being God's man. Okay, And what I mean by that is God gave him an if clause, just like Solomon, and Jeroboam didn't follow it. Annie. You said just a few minutes ago that the reason um, Solomon was not the, the seed was because he had adversaries, right? But when Jesus came, he also had adversaries. Yeah. The, the reason why I say that Solomon was not the king is, one, he is... Um, he is not the person who God built his everlasting covenant with or through. He's not the one who builds the house of God that'll stand forever. Okay, his house is destroyed, right? It no longer exists. Um, he's not the seed because um, uh, God did raise up adversaries against him directly. Now, did Jesus get, um, how do I want to say, put through trials? And did men come against Jesus? Yes. But they were not what God sent against Jesus. Okay? okay? All right. So these are men that God raised up to go strictly against Solomon to take him out. Okay? Now we have to remember that those adversaries ended up not taking Solomon out in his lifetime. It happened in his sons. Remember the prophecy? <coughs> I'm not going to have this happen to your son, David, but it will happen to your son's sons, okay? All right, did that answer the question? Yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, I love this, in Matthew Henry says, or excuse me, in, uh, according to Matthew, Matthew Henry, great. According to Matthew, Jesus was not physically descended from Solomon. Uh, Joseph traces his roots back through Solomon, right? Solomon ended up being cursed so that his sons do not inherit the throne <laughs> But we know that Jesus is physically connected through Mary, which is in Luke, and that ancestry chain back. So Jesus inherited his legal right to David's throne through Joseph, all right? But he did not inherit the curse because he physically was from Mary and the coming on of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting how God works, isn't it? All right. Now, let's move on just a little bit here. We're um, transitioning to the next one, which is the kings of Israel. We're going to look at three kings, okay? So if you want to write these, well, that's appropriate for this time of year, right? Yeah, we three kings. Okay, so the kings of Israel and the three that the blank spaces are there. We're going to take a, a look at Jeroboam. 
We're then going to take a look at Ahab, and we're going to look at Jehu. And these are the kings of Israel. And I wish I had a map up here on the wall. Um, we're, gonna, we're moving to the divided kingdom, is what we're moving to. Now, Solomon had the united kingdom, and it was all of Israel. Um, but when the divided kingdom, kingdom happened, it split off the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Okay? So in your mind, if you can think of the map of Israel, just about in the middle is Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem south was Judah, and above Jerusalem was Israel. And if you think in your mind, where was Jesus from? Judah. He was from, he was from the tribe of Judah, but what town was he raised in as a boy? Nazareth. Nazareth, which is actually in the Israel side, okay? And, um, and I want this in your mind because if you think of Jesus, you think the Sea of Galilee, you think of vineyards, you think of agricultural growth, it really, the northern kingdom was much more suited for uh, raising farms and having vegetation. It had more population. Judah had less population. If you think about Judah, Judah, what do you get? You get desert, mountains, and the Dead Sea. Okay, because literally Judah started at the top of the Dead Sea and went down. So the population base was probably far less. And I'm thinking back to what Mike quoted uh, last week in the verse where uh, I believe it was Saul uh, wanted every man to rise up and come to battle. And 300,000 men came from uh, the north, but only 30,000 men came from the south. So they had a 10 to 1 relationship in population. And that could very well be the case. Judah could have been much more agricultural and or excuse me, much more poor and didn't have the money and the influence that the northern kingdom had. Um, but with that said, kings of Israel, Jeroboam. Uh, let's look at uh, Jeroboam. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. Let's go to uh, verse 26. Uh, I, I'm going to just read a little bit here. I might just read this little section here. Jeroboam was the son of Nabat, an Ephraimite, of Zerida, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow who lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the reason why he lifted up his hand against King Solomon. Solomon built the Milo and closed up the breach of the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was very able. And when Solomon saw the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. And at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the Shulamite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him, and he tore it into 12 pieces. And he said, Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the land of Solomon and give it to the ten, and give you ten tribes. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, 
and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and worshiped Ashtoreth, the goddess of Sidonians, and Shemoth, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, and they have not walked in my way, doing what is right in my sight. We're going to stop right there. So you can see already, Jeroboam was a young guy. He was an Ephraimite. That means he was from the tribe of Ephraim. Do you remember who Ephraim was? Yes, Ephraim was Joseph's son from an Egyptian woman that Joseph had married. And Ephraim, actually this Jeroboam, he must have been pretty, pretty good, pretty good leader. He was leading all of the forced labor slaves that were part of the Ephraim tribe. And what set him off is the amount of work that Solomon was dropping on them to do and not giving them the funds, and he was very tough on them. And um, when uh, Jeroboam uh, actually was approached by the prophet and saying, I'm going to take Israel from you. And we can see later that Jeroboam, when Solomon hears about this, that Jeroboam was raised up against him, and Jeroboam was trying to rally the people to basically succeed from Solomon. Solomon tried to have him killed. Well, it's interesting how this works out, but Jeroboam goes back to Egypt to escape Solomon, and he waits for Solomon's death to return. And when he returns, this is the same time period that Rehoboam, which is the son of David, takes bad advice. And when he asks the older people, what should I do with these forced labor groups that are angry at me? Oh, well, the older people say you should, the elders said you should go easy on them. Cut back a little bit from what your father was doing. You know, build those bridges between you. He went to his buddies, asked the same question. They said, oh, no, be harsh, extract more, get more for less, put more in your own pocket. That's what he chose to do. And then the people were mad. They were really angry. So Rehoboam sets up a new leader of the forced labor instead of using Jeroboam. And guess what the people do? They take this new leader, and I forget his name. I should have had it down. They take him out of the city, and they kill him. They stone him to death. And then they come after Rehoboam. They're going to kill him. So Rehoboam escapes with his life back to Judah. The people then go to Jeroboam, the Ephraimite. What's cool is Ephraim, actually Joseph, he's a stud, right? He was from Ephraim, okay? He was of the tribe of Ephraim. But Jeroboam is made king at that time over Israel. Now, the sad part about him taking over as king of Israel is this next part. And I'm going to just read this to you. Uh, if we look at chapter 12, going to verse 26, he's kind of manipulative, okay? It says, And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up and offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, 
Then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord. Interesting how he says their Lord. To Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me. And they will return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and he made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and he set one in Dan. And then it talks about him making temples and to Baal. This was a man, it's kind of sad. You can see, ran away to Egypt, and that Egyptian influence dominated him. He became a, a golden calf worshiper of all things for somebody from Israel to do. And he not only becomes a golden calf worshiper, he tells the people, these are your gods that brought you up out of Egypt. Who actually brought the Israelis out of Egypt? God did. Yahweh did. So this, and why did he do this? Political. It was political. He wanted to keep his kingdom at the price of ignoring God. At the price of ignoring God. Um, I got to get moving. So... Um, there's another story that goes along with this, and, I, and I, I'm begging you to read it. It's so interesting. In the fact that um, Jeroboam, actually, we're going we're gonna to come back to it, because I want to wrap up with that story. We're going to come back to Jeroboam, and that he truly believes in Yahweh and the power of the Lord, and he used this for politics, and God's holding him accountable. But we're going to come back to that. The next king was Ahab. Um, Ahab has a large amount of kings dedicated to him. I mean, if you look at this, he got, he has first Kings 16, chapter 16 up through 22. I'm not going to go into and read everything like I have been, cause I want to save some time for my closing thing, my closing statements, basically. Um, but if we look at first Kings 16, 29 through 33, it says he had done more evil than any king before him. In 1 Kings 16.31, he took the famous wife, Jezebel. She was a princess of Sidon. Okay, she was a king's daughter. She was a Baal worshiper and nasty. As you read through Kings, you will find out. 1 Kings 17.1, Elijah the prophet prophesies against Ahab. And he stops the reign for three years. That was during the reign of Ahab. Ahab was awful. First Kings 18, 20 through 40. This is when the prophets of Baal were killed, right? Mm -hmm. By Elijah. And God bringing fire down from heaven, right? That happened during Ahab's reign. He's a Baal worshiper, okay? He's a Baal worshiper. Guess why? Because Jezebel was a, a Baal worshiper, okay? Once again, that foreshadowing of God. You marry these women... They're going to carry your hearts away to their gods. First Kings 21, 1 through 15. Uh, this is really an evil story about Jezebel and how she conspires to take a vineyard from Naboth, their neighbor. She gets him killed so she can take his vineyard for Ahab because he's depressed. First Kings 21, 27 through 29. Uh, Ahab does repent and God hears him. 
And uh, he basically, God says, okay, I'll bring disaster on his sons, not Ahab. In 1 Kings 22, 13, Micaiah prophesies against Ahab going to battle, but Ahab goes anyway. I, I love this story. If you get a chance, 1 Kings 22, it's really pretty funny. Uh, the uh, king of Judah is up helping Ahab and uh, saying, well, is there another prophet we can consult on this? Do we really want to go to battle? Need a second opinion. We, yeah, we need a second opinion on this, right? It's like they're going to the doctor. And they did. <laughs> and it's really funny because Micaiah does his prophecy and you hear Ahab say, I told you so. It's really funny. The guy says nothing good about me. Well, no, duh. You're lousy. All right. So read that story. It's awesome. All right. The next king on your list of three there from Israel is Jehu. Now, Jehu is the king who is um, credited for stopping Baal worship. He completely wipes out Baal worship in Israel, according to 2 Kings 10.28. Um, he, uh, he's anointed to fill God's promise that God would wipe out the house of Ahab. Uh, this is a little sub, what do I want to call it, interpretive issue that does come up in the fact that Hosea does speak against Jehu wiping out Ahab's family. Yet in Kings, you get this look that Ahab did a great thing. He did what God promised. He went too far. If you really look into it, Ahab didn't follow what God actually promised. He wiped out Ahab's family, right? That's what God wanted him to do. He got super bloodthirsty and he killed way more than he needed to or that what God called him to. And if you look at it, he killed Ahab's best friends. He killed all the priests. He killed about every person. So that could uh, fix one of the interpretive issues that are going to come up in Hosea. And it does come up here if you get asked that. It's not on our list today, but during my studies, I fell into it. Um, uh, this is what God had against uh, Jehu. Okay, Jehu did a great job wiping out Baal worship defeating Ahab and all his family. But in 2 Kings 10, 29 through 31, this is how this statement ends. Yet he continued in the ways of Jeroboam, which meant he worshiped what? Golden calves. He continued to do golden calf worship. And, he, and it says so, because he did not take out the temples at Dan and Bethel. So pretty sad deal. Uh, Jehu had the chance to be a man of God and he blew it. All right, let's look at the kings of Judah next. We have two that we're going to highlight on real quick, Hezekiah and Josiah. These are two great guys. I'm going to back up a little bit. Kings of Israel, sorry. If you look at the kings of Israel, if you read through first and second kings, you're going to find out there's not one good one. Not one good. Yet they did evil in the sight of God. That's what it says about every one of them. If you look at the kings of Judah, they kind of waffle. They kind of, it's secular. Sometimes they get a good one, then they get a bad one, then they get a bad one, then they get a good one, get a bad one. Um, we're going to just look at the two good ones, okay? We're looking at Hezekiah. Uh, uh, Hezekiah was anointed king at uh, age 25. He reigned for 29 years, 54 years old when he died. Second Kings 18 
1 through 2 will prove that. 2 Kings 18, 3 through 4. This is wonderful. He did what was right. Okay? 2 Kings 18, 5. The Bible says there was none like him. That's kind of neat. Uh, 2 Kings 18, 10 through 11. Uh, kind of a sad deal. Assyria had just conquered the northern kingdom, Israel. They came down to Hezekiah for a tribute. In other words, pay or we're conquering you next. He ended up giving a tribute to uh, Assyria. And um, a sad deal, he, he dismantled just about everything out of the temple. Took the gold off the doors just to pay the tribute. What's really awesome is archaeologically they found uh, men's name from the Bible in the Assyrian writings. Hezekiah is one of them. And guess what he was noted for in their writings? He paid a tribute. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I love that. Um, 2 Kings 19, uh, verse 20. Uh, basically, Hezekiah's prayers are answered, and Isaiah comes to him. We've heard of that guy before, right? Comes to him, and Isaiah prophesies against Assyria. And um, we see in 2 Kings 19, 35 through 36, the angel of the Lord destroys 185,000 Assyrians, and they basically go back home. And they go back home because of what God said. There's going to be a rumor that draws the king back home. And sure enough, there was a rumor that drew Assyria back home. And there's history to back that up. Not only the scripture, but Assyrian history backs that up. They returned because there were a rumor they were being attacked. Okay, so um, the, the sad thing is we have ambassadors come from Babylon. This is in 2 Kings chapter 20, 12 and 13. They come from Babylon. It's Nebuchadnezzar's son and some other envoys. And Hezekiah gets a little arrogant and shows them everything. Okay? And he shows them all the treasures, everything he has left. And Isaiah comes and says to him in 16 through 17, six, uh, verses 16 and 17 of chapter 20, he says, Hezekiah, these guys are going to return. And they're going to haul off everything, including your sons and daughters. And <coughs> so what's interesting, I thought, is Hezekiah is pretty much a great guy. But if you look, it's, let's go to this real quick. Second Kings chapter 20, verse 19. And I think we all suffer with this at times. Hezekiah was no different. In verse 19, he tells Isaiah... So these went out of the servant, uh, city, servants and governors and districts and armies followed them. Uh, hang on, I read the wrong verse here. I'm sorry. I'm in 1 Kings. I'm in 1 Kings. There you go. That would do it. You were in the right spot. Yeah, that, that's an Awana mistake right there, isn't it, Doug? Woo, baby, don't be in the wrong book. Okay, 2019. He says, Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. He should have stopped right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for he thought, why not? If there will be peace in my day or peace and security in my days. Wow. <laughs> How self-centered. Okay, they can haul off the sons and daughters and all the gold and stuff as long as they don't do it while I'm around. Okay? 
Wow, sad deal. But when I read that, it put a smile on my face. I went, yeah, they're no different. We are. All right, let's look at the next king, Josiah. Uh, Josiah, young guy, 2 Kings chapter 22, eight years old when he becomes king of Judah. He did what was right. He repairs the temple. Uh, during the repairing of the temple, this is a great verse. I mean, great area, 22 verse 10. They, uh, Hilkiah, uh, a prophet, finds the book of the law in the temple. It had been lost. They didn't even have God's word. That's how far they had fallen. And they read it to Josiah, and he tore his clothes, and he repented for the sins that he had committed and the sins of his people. And um, it, to tell you how deep into sin the southern kingdom had gotten, they ended up in 2 Kings 23, verse 4. You can read this if you go there. They removed the Baal, the Asherah, and the, uh, the, I'll call it the sun, moon, and stars worship idols that are in the temple. They literally had overtaken the temple with idol worship. God wasn't even worshiped anymore. And not only that, Josiah destroyed all the high places. What's really sad is they had fallen so far that outside the temple they had a male prostitution house. It's, it, you just read this and you go, are you serious? Now, Josiah did fulfill prophecy and the fact that he destroyed all the high places and he actually buried bones in them. Uh, he did that. Um, that's in 2 Kings 23, 16. Um, what's really another neat study to do, and I'll let you guys do this, is if you look at Jeroboam and you compare him to David, um, it, it's an interesting study in the fact that uh, they both were chosen. What's interesting is where they divert, though, is God came to David and said, I am going to do this. There was no if clause with David. I'm going to do this and this and this. Okay? With Jeroboam, he set up if clauses. Jeroboam, I will make your rule as far as you wish for it to go, as long as you follow me, if you follow me and all my commandments. Okay? So, next one. Let's move on to the next thing. Let's jump over kings of comparison. Let's look at the prophets. There are a lot of prophets in First and Second Kings. And if we, I'll just give you the list of prophets that are in First and Second Kings. Nathan is obviously mentioned right at the beginning, chapter 1. He's the one that gets Bathsheba and says, look, we need to get David to see that Solomon is the son of promise to be on the king on the throne. So we see Nathan, uh, Ahijah, um, he's the one that tells Jeroboam that Israel will be uh, ripped out of Solomon's son, Rehoboam's hand, and I'm going to give you to, uh, uh, the tribes of the north. Then we have Jehu. This is a prophet, Jehu, not a king. Gets a little crazy at times. All right. And then Elijah. Okay, Elijah. We know the miracles of Elijah. He, um, he uh, multiplied oil. He restored the life of a child. Um, he had the fire called down from heaven. The story in 1 Kings 18, chapter 18, excuse me. Um, in 2 Kings verse 1, you can see that uh, all these captains of 50 men are coming in. 
There's 50 captains with 50 men come in to Elijah and fire consumes them all. Uh, he brings, he stops the rain, brings the rain back. Um, the next prophet is Micaiah. He's the one that prophesies against Ahab. Then we also have Elisha in this, in this narrative. Elisha is the successor to Elijah, right? Um, he's a follower of Elijah and Elijah trains him. He also parts water. He parts the Jordan just like Elijah did with uh, Elijah's coat. Um, he purifies poisoned water. <laughs> he curses some young men for making fun of his bald head. Right uh, yeah, Chuck and I are going right on. Yeah. Um, here, here. Yeah, Doug. Preach it, buddy. Uh, he blesses a woman with oil. A woman comes to him and says, am I going to starve? I, you know, my husband was a servant of yours. He followed you. And now I'm going to die of starvation. My husband has died. Uh, Elisha tells her, go and collect all the jars you can and fill them with the oil that's in your house. And they, they collected every jar in the entire neighborhood. Okay, if you read the scripture, which was money. Guys, she was pouring out money. Oil could be sold. So it was great. It provided for her. So God provided for her through the miracle that Elisha did. Uh, he also healed a dead boy. Uh, he cursed Nahum, King Nahum, who was an evil king, with leprosy and actually his entire family. Uh, he also made an axe head float, and that's in 2 Kings chapter 6. Um, What's really interesting is in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 21, uh, the kings, while they were on the way back, they had a man die on them. They didn't know where to bury him. They were running out of time. They needed to escape. They threw him into Elijah's grave, and guess what? Boing! The guy was made alive again. He popped right out of the grave. <laughs> and that's the power of God that rested on these men. I mean, they were... Unbelievable, right? Uh, here's one for you that's in the narrative. Jonah. You've heard of him, right? He prophe prophesies against Jeroboam II. There's two Jeroboams, okay? And uh, then we see Isaiah. He prophesies against uh, Sennacherib, which is uh, the uh, leader of the Assyrians. It's through Isaiah and his prayer that the Lord brings the angel and kills 185,000 of them. Um, we also have, this is interesting, Hulda, which is a prophetess. And she actually uh, was a good prophet and uh, was actually talking to Josiah about things that would happen to him. All right, the next theme down, temple. In First and Second Kings, we learn most of the things we learn about the temple that are good are going to come from First Kings when Solomon was establishing the temple. Now, we know that uh, David was not allowed to build the temple. And he was not allowed to build the temple because, according to Chronicles and according to Kings, God said, you're not going to build my house. But according to Chronicles, it adds a little bit more. And I'm trying to find that, so forgive me as I jump over. According to Chronicles, uh, it adds a little more, and it says that, because you've been a man who, have sh who has shed blood, okay? So that's why David didn't get to build that temple, because he was a warrior king, okay? 
All right. So, um, oh, and that's in First Chronicles 28, 2 through 3. If I had just read my notes, it was right there. Uh, we know that David gathered a lot of materials for Solomon. Solomon did gather more materials. If you read 1 Kings chapter 5 through 9, he went to the Sidonians and had them cut down trees. Remember, nobody cuts trees like Sidonians. You know, they probably had T-shirts made that said that. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, also in the temple, we hear bad things about it in 2 Kings. Like I said before, Hezekiah took the gold off the doors to pay tribute to Assyria. Um, we see in 2 Kings 23, I mentioned this earlier, idols to Baal, Asherah, and the host of heaven is what the word says. But that was sun, moon, and star worship. Uh, in 24, the king of Babylon, it says he carries off all the treasures of the temple, right? And we see later in Daniel, they pull out some of those treasures and use them, right? Um, sovereignty of the Lord. That's the last thing we got here. And then I've got some stuff I want to share. The sovereignty of the Lord. We can see God's sovereign hand in First and Second Kings in chapters 5 through 9, because God prophesied that he would have a house built. And guess what? There was a house built for God. Okay? In 2 Kings 18, God told them, if you turn from me and do not follow my commandments, right, and worship me with all of your heart and soul, I'm going to bring judgment. We see that in 2 Kings 18. Assyria comes down hauls off all the northern kingdom. In 2 Kings 23, uh, we see God's sovereign hand that Josiah would be the one who gave reprieve to Judah. It was prophesied by another prophet. He even named him. Okay? He even named who he would be. And we see God's sovereign hand, the fact that Josiah was born, he was made king, and he did destroy all those things, and he was a good king. And then in 2 Kings 24, we see God's sovereign hand in the fact that he brought judgment against Judah by using Babylon and hauled them off to captivity. Now, some of the things that are not on your sheet for you to fill in, key chapters in 1 Kings is chapter 1, it's about Solomon, appointed king. Chapter 2, David dies. Solomon secures his kingship. Chapter 3, Solomon chooses wisely, and he wisely judges. He's doing well at that time. Chapter 8, Solomon's temple is dedicated. 9, God promises and warnings to Solomon that he did not heed. Chapter 11, this is where Solomon's demise comes in. Chapter 17, Elijah predicts drought and raises the dead. 18, wonderful story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. 19, Elijah's flight to Horeb and his appointment of Elisha. That's a great chapter. Even guys like Elijah, I mean, this is one of the greatest prophets who have ever lived. And he feared for his life and ran, ran to Mount Horeb because he was fearful. Of one woman named Jezebel. That's how bad she was. She scared him. And, and, and you go, wow. Man, and, and, and we're the same, guys. We fear for our lives as well. 21. 
Uh, this is the story of Naboth's vineyard. I kind of laid that out to you that Jezebel conspired to get that. In 2 Kings, key chapters in 2 Kings, is chapter 2, Elijah's taken up to heaven. In chapter 4, Elisha's miracle to provide for the widow through oil. Chapter 5, Naaman's healed and uh, Gehazi's greed. 6, Elisha thwarts Syria. Okay? 17, Israel's fall is uh, Assyrian captivity, and that happened in 722 B.C. In 18, Sennacherib invades Judah. 22 and 23, Josiah is king over all Judah. He brings revival, <laughs> can't talk, revival, reform, and renewal. And then 24, 24 and 25, the fall of Judah to Babylon in 586 B.C. So we can see there's, you know, a hundred and some years, almost 200 years between the fall of the northern kingdom and the fall of the southern kingdom. Key passages. <clears throat> Key passages is 1 Kings 13.2. That's the prophecy concerning Josiah. Other key passages is 2 Kings chapter 4, 18 through 28. Elisha raises the Shunammite's son from the dead. Elisha raises the Shunammite's son from the dead, and that's in 2 Kings 4, 18 through 28. Am I wearing your hands out yet? A little bit. bit of carpal tunnel setting in. All right, 2 Kings 6, 1 through 7. That's Elisha makes an axe float. Um, key people, I think we know these. In 1 Kings, Solomon, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, Elijah, Jezebel, Ahab. Key, uh, key people in 2 Kings, Josiah, Elisha, and Naaman. The literary structure, if you wanted to have this in your mind, the first 11 chapters of 1 Kings. Now, remember, this was all one book, right? It was all one scroll. So you, now it's divided into 1 and 2 Kings. And it's really funny where they divided it. It's almost like right in the middle of the narrative. The story's kind of going on. You're going, hey, this is interesting. It kind of draws you right into 2 Kings, the way it was divided. But 1 Kings 1 through 11, that's the United Kingdom, or kingdom that is united. All right, and then we have, uh, that's kind of funny. Uh, 12 through 17 is about the divided kingdom. 18, uh, and, or excuse me, chapter 12 of 1 Kings going through 17 of 2 Kings is the divided kingdom. Uh, 2 Kings 18 to 25 verse 21 is the surviving kingdom. And then you have the epilogue in chapter 25 22 through 30. All right. I, I kind of felt like the interpretive issues were, eh, they're not really that difficult. So I wasn't, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. Uh, some of the things that uh, are hard is uh, the chrono chronology of the kings, the data, the date, if you add them up, you know, it doesn't add up right. But that's solvable. We've talked about this before. Sometimes kings came to power before the other king was actually dead and moved on. So those, those numbers can be reconciled, and really, today, they are. Uh, another one of the things that's uh, an interpretive issue is the portrayal of Solomon. Is he a, fall, a flawed lover of Yahweh? Um, or 
Is he not? Is he apostate and turned away from, from God? Uh, you know, the record is inconclusive. I think the thing I say is the Bible does say he turned away from God. And you don't see him mentioned in a good way in the New Testament. So I don't know. It's still open. It's up to you. You read First and Second Kings and, and come to your own conclusions on Solomon, whether he's a man of God or not. Um, high places. Why were they sacrificing on high places when Leviticus 26, 27 through 33 specifically says don't do this? Deuteronomy said, Deuteronomy 12, 2 says, God said to destroy the high places and all the green trees. They actually put idols under evergreens. Okay? Um, God said destroy those, yet they were still doing it. Um, the word Bama is the word for high places, and it's used 31 times in First and Second Kings. And pretty much every time a king leaves the high places in, intact, he's considered evil in the sight of the Lord. Every time. The ones who do right are the ones who destroy the high places. So, um, kind of interesting. My favorite story, and that's what I want to end with tonight, and I'm hoping I gave us enough time. I'd like you to turn to 1 Kings 13. I hope I'm not reading too much on you guys tonight. But I wanted to have more scripture than I had last time when I taught. But I love this story. And I'm going to try to read it as quick as I can, okay? And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. Now, remember, he's a calf worshiper, right? And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. And he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you. And human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign uh, and he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes are, that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him, and his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself." The altar was torn down and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. And the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself and I'll give you a reward. And the man of God said to him, If you give me half your kingdom, I will not go with you. And I will not eat your bread or drink your water in this place. For so was it commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way you came. So he went another way, and he did not return by the way he came to Bethel. Now, an old prophet 
lived in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done in the day in Bethel. They also told their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? And he, his sons showed him the way, and the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled the donkey for him, and they mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under the oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me, eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of God, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back, and he ate bread in his house, and he drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet, who he had brought back. And he cried out to the man of God, who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, because you disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandments that the Lord God commanded you, but you have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in a place of which he said to eat, eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he settled his donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And he went away and a lion met him on the road and he killed him. And his body was thrown on the road, and a donkey stood beside it, and a lion also stood beside it. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road, and a lion standing by the body. And they came and told it to the city of the, uh, where the old prophet lived. Now, I want to stop there. The old prophet gets on his donkey and finds the man. He says, well, I'm going to go find him. And he gets on his own donkey, and he comes to the road, and here in the road is the donkey of the prophet and the lion that God sent to kill the man and the body of the man still in the road. I believe that this short story, this narrative right here is actually a great picture of everything going on in first and second Kings. I, I think it's a story that God gives us because the fact that it says that behold, a man of God came from Judah. There's no name. There's no name on this prophet. We know that he was sent to warn Jeroboam of his apostate ways and to stop. And that he was sent to prophesy about Josiah who would come and stop this mess. He uh, was told, don't stop, don't eat, don't drink, go back away a different way to get home. If you go back the way you came, you will die. If you stop and eat, you will die. That was the word that came to him. What's amazing, though, is when Jeroboam asked him to stop, he said, well, I'm not going to listen to Jeroboam. I wouldn't even take half your kingdom, Jeroboam. And he didn't stop. But a false prophet came to him and said, God said you should stop and eat with me. And he believed the lie. And he went back and he ate with him and he ended up dying on the road. And you think, you see this picture, and I, 
I pictured this in my mind with this man laying in the middle of the road dead and a donkey on one side and a lion on the other. And you can see that the word of God come running in or walking in or riding in peacefully on a donkey. It didn't come on a white horse. The word of God came in peacefully on a donkey. But because it was not adhered to, it was forcefully removed, that man was, by the Lion of God. And I think if you think of the people of Israel, they're living in an apostate nation. They brought the word of God in with them. It, it came in with them from the hand of Moses writing it by God telling him to write it. They peaceable, peaceably received that word. And they did not adhere to it. And if you think about it for a second, the man, in order to save his life, needed to do what the word said so that he could follow the path to salvation, his home. And because he did not follow God's word, nor did he beseech God and say, God, is this man a true prophet of yours? Is this truly your word? No, he followed their word. He was lied to, he was deceived, and he died for it. And if you think about Israel, that is exactly what they do in First and Second Kings. They had the word of God. They were lied to by every nation around them, by women who took Solomon away, by women who took Ahab away, by other people in the nation, and they fell to the lies of the false prophets. And what does God do? He brings in his lions, Assyria and Babylon, and he throws their dead body in the road. And I think this, is a, this, this story, I think, beautifully fits the fact that God has set his word in place, and it's our job to observe it. And he does not take shortcuts. He does not take politics as an answer like Jeroboam did. He does not take the fact that you love women like Solomon did. He does not take the fact that uh, Jehu did everything was right but followed calves. No. If you look at the scripture, uh, and I, I wish I had it to, to encapsulate this and wrap this up. Um, give me two seconds here. I love the fact that multiple times you hear the words, if you will follow me with all your heart, and with all your soul, and how that is an echo of the greatest commandment in uh, Matthew, where it says, "Love." when Christ was approached by the men saying, give us the greatest commandment. And Christ said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If these men in First and Second Kings had followed those commands, they would have had their kingdoms last forever. But they didn't. They were like the unnamed prophet. And I love that because it's an unnamed prophet. It doesn't matter where God's word comes from. It doesn't matter if it's Elijah, Jonah, Isaiah, <laughs> Paul. It doesn't matter if it's anybody. If it's a man of God who's teaching God's word, you better listen. That's what, that's what First and Second Kings teaches. Let's end with that. God, we just praise you, and I exalt you, Lord, and I thank you so much for our study of kings. Uh, God, I just pray that um, 
Each of the folks out here will get a chance to read First and Second Kings if they haven't already and uh, enjoy it the way I have, God. I just praise you for it. Uh, God, I see how in First and Second Kings that we need a Savior. We have the wisest man in the world, and he fails. We have various men come up, and they fail. And they can't follow the Word of God completely. But your son did. And because your son follows the word of God completely, we can rest in him. We have a savior who's done it all. He has completed the law. And God, he has completed everything that you wanted done in first and second Kings. And God, we look forward to that glorious return when he will ride in on a white horse and he will destroy all the high places. And God, he will secure an everlasting house for you that will be with no end. And God, we praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen.